ourselves is that choice. And I know that this is Independence Celebration uh, this weekend. And uh, so it's sort of a, a subtle way of looking at that. And I just th- want to thank the Lord for confirmation. A uh, couple of verses that were read, I have them in the text here that I uh, will share this morning. And I believe that if we are faithful to God, he'll be faithful to us. We don't have to be faithful to uh, other things as much as we need to be faithful to God. And it's in that faithfulness that we are blessed. But not all people have faith to be faithful. And so there's always a choice. We have that choice before us day in and day out. And we have to ask ourselves, what will it be? Am I going to choose him and his way, express my loyalty? Or am I going to f- serve my flesh, serve, my, serve the world? It's always, always our choice. So as we uh, work our way through this chapter, we're going to follow the paragraphs that are here. <clears throat> and the first paragraph is verses 1 through 5. Israel is at the Acacia Grove. Abil Shatim, the... Valley of the Acacia Trees. This is the encampment of Israel there in the plains of Moab, which would be northeast of the Dead Sea. And actually, <clears throat> this was the final encampment that Israel had before uh, they went into the Promised Land under Joshua. Moses will uh, be led up to Mount Nebo, where he will give up the ghost and go to be with the Lord. Uh, the final, all the final preparations are going to be made from this location. Uh, the census will be taken. That'll be next week. We'll just breeze through that one, <laughs> unless you're into numbers and <laughs> tribes. Um, it's there for a reason, but it's the new generation that will go in there. Uh, so the census was taken from there. Joshua was publicly announced as Moses' successor there. Reuben and Gad and part of the tribe or half the tribe of Manasseh received their inheritance on the east side of the Jordan after they promised that they would <laughs> go in and fight with the rest of their brothers and sisters uh, to take the promised land. Uh, that happened there. Moses gave his final address to the people from this location. And Joshua sent out the spies to Jericho from here. So just a very uh, historical landmark for them. Unfortunately, um, uh, there's also this blot, if you will, in their history that took place there in uh, Israel's unfaithfulness. That final generation, those souls, at least uh, some of them probably, maybe some of the younger generation, were all removed at this point. The only ones that were allowed of the second generation to go into the promised land was Joshua and Caleb. And God's word was clear. And so this event sort of cleaned house, if you will. Uh, the old first generation out of Egypt uh, would be eliminated uh, from inheriting because of their rebellion. So let's pick it up here in verse 1 of chapter 25 in the book of Numbers. Now Israel remained in the Acacia Grove and the people began to commit harlotry with the women of Moab. They invited the people to the sacrifices of their gods and the people ate and bowed down to their gods. And so Israel was joined to Baal Peor and the anger of the Lord was aroused against Israel. And then the Lord said to Moses, 
Take all the leaders of the people and hang the offenders before the Lord out in the sun, that the fierce anger of the Lord may be turned away from Israel. And so Moses said to the judges of Israel, Every one of you kill his, kill his men who have joined Baal of Peor. This is a ugly scene here in the first five verses. And harlotry, as we know, is a breaking of the covenant of marriage. You, there is an expression of unfaithfulness and disloyalty to your mate. And it's obviously spiritual in nature. We never want to forget that when there's this kind of breaking of the covenant. And in reality, it is the sin of idolatry. It is putting self before God. It is putting other things in the place of God. And all the other sins uh, sort of fall under that same category. The, the spiritual adultery that was committed by Israel is uh, replete throughout the Old Testament. Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, Jeremiah, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Judges. I mean, it's ad nauseum of many uh, scriptures that speak of the infidelity that the nation of Israel had towards their Savior, towards Yahweh. And, but I want to notice here, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time, I, I don't like negativity. I don't like judgment. I, I wrestled with this during the week as I thought about this, like, you know, it can really drag you down. <laughs> and just kind of like what's going on in the world today, if you're not careful, it can just really drag you down. You don't want to dwell on that stuff. You want to dwell on that which is just, pure, lovely, right? As it says there in Philippians 4, 7 and 8. Whatever is of good report, if there's any virtue, any praise, think on these things. It doesn't mean you're sticking the head in the sand and you're ignoring what's going on. It's just that that's not what you're thinking about and that's, what, that's not what the focus of your life is about. God is good. And we should be focusing on the goodness of God. Notice here, though, there are four steps taken that lead into complete bondage, complete surrender to idolatry that need to be avoided here. Notice that they, the uh, people accepted the invitation to come and sacrifice to their gods. They invited the people to the sacrifices there in verse 2. They gave in to the temptation. If they would have stopped right there, they wouldn't have sinned against God. Nope, sorry, we have been warned. We are not of that. We have one God. We are loyal to Yahweh and we will not serve. Neither will we bow down to these images. No. Sometimes as a believer, you need to say no. You know, that's how you deal with temptations. Be bold and say, no, I'm not doing that. Some of you guys, you're stubborn. Well, this is a place to be stubborn in. No. Right? I'm not going to do that. It's wrong. I don't want to offend my God. This would be grievous to him. So I'm not going to cross that line. But unfortunately, they accepted the invitation. They just couldn't resist the beauty. Those beautiful young Moab, Moabite women. Wow. You know, all Miss Americas, you know, type. Probably. You know, guys are so caught up in the visual. Oh, you know, they lose their minds, lose their senses and all. You got to watch your eyes. Remember what Job said, fellas. 
I made a covenant with my eyes that I would not look upon a maid. And that's important. We have to watch our eyes as men. Women, is probably you don't have the issue like that. I know it's probably hard for you to, to grasp that, but we are visually oriented, and it's a, it's a difficult thing. We have to be disciplined. I've mentioned this before, but it's always good to remind yourself of it. I like what Martin Luther said. You know, birds are going to land in your hair, but you don't let them build a nest. Right, and so the idea of oh, you, you know, like wow, you, you sometimes you can't help but see it. Wow, that lady is really beautiful. Well, okay, fine, but that's only skin deep. As I tell the guys in the men's group, you know, all standard equipment. Get over it. Move on. You know, it's the way it is, and you got to harden yourself like that. And don't invitation. Don't give in to that temptation. Oh, 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 you know, don't be as weak as water. By Secondly, the second step into their bondage was sacrificing to the gods. They gave into the temptation, and now they're going to sacrifice to these gods of the Moabites. Rendering worship, giving their time, their talent, and their treasure to these idols. How sad. And how so? By eating and bowing down. They're now in fellowship. They're now in agreement. You know, this is why eating is, it is a physical act. You know, we have our agape feast, and, and there is something special when you break bread with your brothers and sisters. There's a, there's, you know, when you are eating, you naturally, your bodily, bodily function is that you relax. <sighs> and you enjoy your food. You enjoy your company. But you're eating the same food, and in a spiritual sense, there's a oneness that takes place. You're eating the same food that I'm eating, and we're being sustained and strengthened by the same food. There's a oneness there and there's spiritual symbolism in eating together. And so we see that, you know, in the offerings that were offered to Yahweh. They would eat the sacrifice with their family. They would go to Yahweh's house and they would sup with him. Why do you think Jesus went to the sinners so often? Why was he always eating? That's the point. God wants to come in and sup with you and me. Fellowship with God is what it's about relationship, intimate relationship. And yet, in the negative sense, these people were, were connecting with these idols, these foreign gods of the Moabites. They were joining themselves to Baal. Now, Baal is the, Molech is the god, Peor is the location. Uh, and this is where this idol was set up. And this was, and there were various locations around uh, this M Middle East area. Uh, we refer to it as the promised land. And, but this kind of worship, the offering of children, this temple prostitution that went on uh, in these countries, seven countries in particular, are named throughout uh, Numbers and Exodus as well, uh, Deuteronomy, these seven nations that were devoted to destruction, Kaharim, God would devoted them to destruction. They had, were given 430 years to repent and to turn uh, to, uh, away from this idolatry, and they failed to it, so they were going to be judged there. This judgment upon these nations was about to come. And this is important uh, to understand why God does these things, because he knows that sin is destructive. And he knows that if this is allowed to come into his camp of his people, they're going to be destroyed by it. It's a... Pleasure. It's a worship of pleasure. You know, 
we think, gosh, those people were such heathens. Bowing down to these idols. Prostrating themselves. They were just ignorant fools. And he, somehow we think we're so far advanced and so far removed from that in our arrogance and we're, we couldn't be more deceived. Look in our culture. And I'm not saying it's a, it's a one-for-one you know, comparison here type of thing. But it's sort of akin to the idol worship of our day. You know, you go to the sports bar and you pull up your chair and you're there enjoying your favorite idol on the silver screen while you eat, drink, and be merry. And then for some of those people, and you've probably been to those places, and it's hard to, you know, you can, probably don't enjoy going there. I don't. Only in desperation when I'm starving, right? <laughs> but they rise up to play. It's a, it's a one-night stand for some people. So it's the same kind of a thing, uh, just in a different form. It's the serving of the flesh, living after the world and all. And so... Uh, here, in our context, we have the Lord reacting to this. This scene, we see Yahweh holding the leaders responsible for this rebellion. They are allowing this despicable act, this giving in to the invitation and allowing this to come into the camp and be accepted. It wasn't just a slip. It was an acceptance Letting this go on, this apostasy right in front of the tabernacle and all, as we'll see. This is full-on rebellion against the revealed will of God. And God is not going to sit back and allow it to continue. Now... Let me be clear here. There, there's a difference between struggling, a struggling believer who has a moral failure and the person who is deliberately flaunting their sin. Uh, when uh, Maybe you had this experience. Uh, when you come to, to the Lord uh, and you fresh out of the world and you were living a life of sin, I, I, you know, I, I'm one of those. And Unfortunately, we're not immediately perfected, are we? <laughs> there's, there's damage that's been done by sin, by maybe the lifestyle that we uh, experienced. There are things in our life that we're just, they're blind spots. We don't see that they're there. But as you begin to walk with the Lord, He begins to convict you. As you're in the Word of God and you realize that you're not practicing what it's teaching, so that you're, therefore there's conviction and you confess that and you want to t- change your life, and you ask God to forgive, you ask God to transform and, 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 and make you a different person, and he's so gracious to do that. And it's a process of God sanctifying us, and that's a very important part. And there, there's just times when the Lord stops you in your tracks and says, this needs to stop. Stop doing that. Don't do that anymore. I, I had a, I've had a few of those experiences, and I'll probably have a few more. It's just part of the work of the Holy Spirit within our lives. So it's little by little that the Lord sanctifies us. He changes us. He uh, has that convicting work of the Holy Spirit at work in us all the time. Now, but there are those who fail to receive. 
the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Well, you know, that's not really the Lord. That's, uh, that's something else. That's the devil, you know. It surely couldn't be the Lord, you know. And so they failed to uh, repent from these newly revealed trespasses. And they, rather than repent, seek to justify themselves in their lifestyles. They, uh, through their rebellion, begin to formulate their own little, uh, a different God within their minds. Not the God of the Bible, but a, a God within their own makeup, their own preferences. They stop reading their Bibles devotionally. They wane in their church attendance. They don't no longer in, sort of engage in Christian fellowship. They become isolated and all. And, and this is always the case with their little God is quite liberal and allowing them to indulge their flesh uh, to their preferences. That kind of a thing goes on all the time. And that's kind of sad. That kind of living will not receive the blessing of the Lord. It's, con it's contrary to his revealed will. And anybody who rebels against the revealed will of God will suffer the consequences because their hearts will be hardened. And there's always a curse. Understand this. There's a curse attached to every sin. Sometimes we say it, there's a stinger with every sin. And that's true. There's pain with every sin. And so God doesn't want us to experience pain. He doesn't want us to have sorrow of heart. And if we uh, have a life like that and we indulge the flesh, we're just going to suffer for it. And so the idea is to turn away from that. You don't want to go through that. But understand that no matter what state you may be, a, a newly converted Christian seeking to walk with the Lord and maybe slipping here and there, or someone who's, who's walked with the Lord and, and then you know, sort of falling away and turning their back, depending on where you're at. Um, God gives space and God gives time for people to come to their senses and repent. Luke 13, 6 through 9 says, in Jesus speaking, he spoke this parable. There's a certain man who had a fig tree planted in his vineyard and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. Then he said to the keeper of the vineyard, Hey, look, three years I've come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and I find none. Cut it down. Why does it use up the ground? But he answered and said, Sir, let it alone this year also, until I dig around it and fertilize it, and if it bears fruit, well. But if not, after that, you can cut it down. And so the implication here, obviously, is that God gives space and time. He gave space and time for the nation of Israel to repent of the ministry of John the Baptist. They killed him. He gave them three and a half years under the ministry of Jesus to repent and turn. And then there was the death and resurrection of Christ and then the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and Pentecost. And he gave them yet another 30 years or so. And that was it. 70 AD rolled around and judgment of God fell upon the unrepentant nation of Israel. God gives space and time. So what happens in reality when a person makes, uh, or, you know, worships and makes sacrifices to these other gods is they're, in, in claiming loyalty to Yahweh at the same time, they're actually committing adultery, spiritual adultery. It's no different than a man who betrays his wife for a younger, more beautiful woman which is quite common in our culture. And it was, call, it was common in Israel's culture as well. 
God condemned them. God hates divorce. But in reality, too, what was going on in these cults, which was so, such a heinous crime, is that they were worshiping this fertility cult, this practice in these designated high places in the temple prostitution. And, of course, the fruit of those relationships often were the birth of illegitimate children who were then offered on the altar. And you see that there's not much has changed. Thank the Lord that we've had a recent change in Roe v. Wade. But it's the same thing. It's blood running under concrete from these abortions. It's all done in a sanctified way where we don't see it. It's all behind closed doors. This may have been out open, brazenly open, but ours, we more sophisticated in our sin, but it's still an abomination to God, and it's a curse that needs to be repented of. The thing is, we have in the church those uh, messengers of God, or should be messengers of God, who are unwilling to confront the sin that comes into the church. None of us are sin-free. We all need to hear the truth so that we can be free from our sins. And there are those who claim to be Christian, who continue to live in fornication, live double lives, and still put on the smiley face on Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights whenever they come just because that's what they're supposed to do and they want to be known for this or that. The scripture is clear. Let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. The Lord knows who are his. Second. Timothy 2.19. His foundation is sure. Make sure that we're building on a solid foundation. You see, what was going on here was not just a private disloyalty being expressed. It was a public display of apostasy. And how that was met in verse 3 was with anger. And the word anger here, it's an interesting word. It's f. A A P H. Uh, it, it actually is the Hebrew word for nose. Now, think about this. Nonetheless, why I love Hebrew language. Um, when you get mad, you ever notice that your nose changes a little bit? <laughs> Not exaggerated that a little bit, but like the bull. Let's, let's think of a bull. When a bull gets mad, you know you see the you know the steam come out <laughs> nostril. There, and, and so aroused, the Lord's anger was aroused. You know, he is heated, hot, hot in the nose, literally, is the interpretation of that. And so when he sees this apostasy take place, this harlotry, he's angry. And the last thing you and I want to do is make the Lord angry. You see, his very nature is to break out against sin. His natural response to wrongdoing is to destroy it. And this is why people don't understand why, well, why can't we see God? Where is he? If he's really there, let him show himself. Well, you don't really want that to happen. <laughs> you really don't want that to happen because you'd be dead. I'd be dead. He's holy. We're not. He's he's shrouded himself. He's hid himself in a, somewhat, in some ways, to protect us from what would otherwise happen. 
You see, you know, when you look at the sun, you know, you go out there in the days of like we have here, and you usually like when you walk out of church here, it's like, whoa, it's just really bright. And you, you know, you're just, you recoil. It's painful to your eyes when you've been in a darker place to go into the sunlight. And so you'll, you'll seek to, you know, there's a reaction there. And so that's, in, in a sense, that's what, how God reacts to sin. He can't handle it. Whoa. He, there's a reaction and a recoil uh, by him. He's pained by it. And he's pained by it because he knows the damage and its effects that it has upon people. Sin is destructive. It's very hurtful and damaging. And he doesn't, he knows what it will do to his created ones. To all of his creation. And unfortunately for us, he's a God of mercy. <laughs> and grace, and kindness, and he balances out his wrath, and he withholds it in his patience, because he's given, he gives people space and time to choose differently. And again, we just need to be careful. We just need to be careful, fellas. Guys, we need to be careful. Ladies, we need to be careful about our choices. 1 Corinthians 10, 12 and 13, Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed, lest he fall. There's no temptation that's overtaking you that such is, is common to man. But God, who is faithful, will not allow you to be tempted beyond that which you are able. But with the temptation, he will also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. God is with us. He knows our frame. You know, you think about it. There are many who started out well in the scriptures, but that didn't end well. Maybe you started out rough and you're going to end well. That's good. You can, if you started out good and on fire for the Lord, well, let's end that way too. But, you, but we do have examples of people fading down the stretch. Uzziah, Saul, Solomon's son who took the throne, Rehoboam. Remember Gehazi, faithful servant to Elisha. Got caught up. In the loot. Got it, you know, wanted that. Wow, there's a lot of money you're letting slide through there, bro. You know, and then he lied. You know, what ended up happening with him? He was struck with leprosy. Just because we start out well doesn't mean we finish well. May God help all of us. May he be gracious and merciful to us all. May we finish well and strong. Notice here as we finish this paragraph up he held these leaders responsible for the activity that was going on don't you think God will also hold people like myself pastors accountable for the activities that go on within the church do you think they'll and will escape the judgment of God if we are liberal and we let sin continue to be in the camp of God and say nothing Oh, well, you know, are we going to become like Aaron? Well, you know, Moses, these guys are prone to sin, you know. You know how they are. What did they do to you, Aaron, that you would allow this to go on? It's a warning to us. God help us. Moses obeys. The ones that were guilty were hung. They were impelled. Kind of a hung in the sun, curses he was hung on a tree. I mean, there's, you know, making an example. Yahweh is not going to tolerate disloyalty in his camp. And so, as this judgment was going on, the congregation wept. And yet, these, 
and a number of people were not broken over the situation. Very sad. Turn with me to Romans 1. I want to wake you up again. Romans 1. Does this not describe our culture today? Have we not crossed the line? 118. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Because what would be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, neither were they thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into the image made like corruptible man, the birds of four-footed animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up to uncleanness in the lusts of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves who exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions for even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature and likewise also the men leaving the natural use of a woman, burned in their lust for one another, men with men committing that which is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which is due. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, and deceit, and evil-mindedness. And they are whispers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judgment of God that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only who do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. Does that not describe what is going on in our world today? And does not the judgment of God linger? Isn't it not a waiting to come crashing down upon our nation? And I think it's important that we become as Phineas. And let's read back there what this young man, the grandson of Aaron, did to say, actually save the nation. And indeed, one of the children of Israel came and presented to his brethren a Midianite woman in the sight of Moses and in the sight of all the congregation of the children of Israel who were weeping at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Now when Phinehas, the son of Eliezer, the son of Aaron the priest, saw it, he rose from among the congregation and took a javelin in his hand and he went after the man of Israel into the tent and thrust both of them through the man of Israel and the woman through her body so the plague was stopped among the children of Israel. And those who died in the plague were 24,000. It's amazing how one man's zeal and act saved the nation. Do you think the 24,000 were all were going to die? The good thing he moved. 
But what did he do? I think what we need to do is follow his step. Follow in his steps with the zeal. I'm not saying let's go grab our javelins. <laughs> just, just saying. No, no. But in heart. He saw the sin. We see the sin. We as believers, we see the sin in our nation. We're not going to go out there and condemn the sinners because they're already there. They already stand hanging, looming over them is the judgment of God. We know this. So we see the sin, but we must rise up and deal with it. We must stand for righteousness. We must be the salt of the earth. A light set on a hill. He rose up to deal with the sin. He took the equipment necessary to accomplish it. And it's going to be different equipment that we need to use. It's being involved in our local areas. It's being involved in the community. God help us. Our church, our little church here, we lack in that area. We've got a few guys that have taken their stand. We've got a number of people that are active and doing the right thing as a citizen. But may God help us in the area of good works. May this church be known for its good work. We just need to grow. We need to mature in this area. He took a javelin in his hand. He went after the man. Let's define what our mission is, pray tell. It's going to be different for you than me, maybe. But everybody has a, a mission to find what it is and get after it. What is that man you're supposed to be after, you know? Find it, discern it, go get it. Deal with it. You'll stop the plague. The judgment of God can be avoided. I believe that with all my heart. If we will turn, we will repent, God will heal, as was said in our prayer time. And notice the reward that waited him in verses 10 through 13. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Phinehas, the son of Eliezer, the son of Aaron, the priest, has turned back my wrath from the children of Israel because he was zealous with my zeal among them, so that he, I did not consume the children of Israel in my zeal. It wasn't going to stop at 24K. We're talking millions would have died. He was, he'd had it. 40 years of this stubborn rebellion, and yet for 40 years and more, the loyal love that he expressed to this nation, to these people. Fed them, watered them, protected them from the sun and the cold at night. Forgave them over and over like a father and mother do for their children, taking care of the nation. And then for them to turn their back and so quickly turn away from him. Therefore, in verse 12, Behold, I give him a covenant of peace, and it shall be to him his descendants after him, a covenant of everlasting priesthood, because he was zealous for his God and made atonement for the children of Israel. There's a reward for being obedient. You know, maybe, maybe there was going to be some repercussions from some others. You know, he, the family, you know, he killed their son. What about the them coming after him at some later date because they're angry and bitter of what happened? I think the Lord's protection was upon him, a covenant of peace. You know, God's always looking for someone to stand the gap. 
God doesn't want to bring judgment. It awaits, yes, but he doesn't want to judge. That's not first thing on his list. That's the last resort. And it's usually very merciful when he does judge. But it's impossible to stop it once his hand stops. His hand cannot be stayed. You know, if, if we'll repent as the church and take our javelin, our tools, and get to work in prayer and seeking the Lord, I think we can turn away his wrath. What is the problem in the church today? We're Laodicea. We're lukewarm. We're not hot. We're not cold. It's not very pleasant to the Lord. We see it. We have to repent from that. Those red referred to twice in our prayer, and I had it in my message. Second Chronicles seven. My people who are called by my name humble themselves. Pray and seek my face. Turn from their wicked ways. I'll hear from heaven. I'll forgive their sin and heal their land. Now my eyes will be open to their ears and attentive to their prayers made. You know, I know, we know this applies to the nation of Israel and Solomon's prayer and all, God's response. But we're God's people and he will hear our prayers. You see, Second Chronicles 16.9 is also another great verse to understand the heart of God. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro through the whole earth to show himself strong on the behalf of those whose heart is loyal toward him. When, if we're willing to leave off our lukewarmness and, and, and allow him to turn up the zeal and the fire within our own hearts and begin to seek him and to seek his face, God will demonstrate his power and his grace and his love will abound and lives will be changed. I am praying this, praying for this kind of revival. Two things in revival that always take place. Number one, prayer. Number two, the word of God. They always go hand in hand. You look at what happened in the 1858, 59, and 60 in America and in Britain, the great revival, a great awakening didn't last that long, but the effects were incredible. They lasted into generation, a, a generation. Same thing had happened in ni- around 1900, 1912, in that whole region there in Wales, the, the Great Awakening there. In a, a, less than a year, the revival took place. Over 100,000 people were saved, but it, it saved a generation. I don't know of another generation that need, needed salvation any more than this one, Right? This generation needs to be saved. And if we will humble ourselves, get real with God, and pour out our hearts and express our zeal, His fervent love that He has for people, he, our nation is severely damaged. God help us as the people of God. Oh, well, my, you know, I'm just one person. That's right. I'm just one person too, but I can still pray. I can't really affect what's going on in D.C. physically. My vote, well, that's questionable anymore. But I can pray. I can launch missiles that destroy the enemy's stronghold. Because we're not fighting against flesh and blood, are we not? 
We're fighting with, against powers and principalities and spiritual wickedness in high places. And I've been given the authority, you've been given the authority in Jesus Christ to bind those forces of hell and darkness, to fight the good fight of faith, to be full of zeal for the Lord. And do not believe the lie that your prayers are not effective. That is a lie. They are effective. The Lord says the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous avails much. Don't forget that. God is looking. His eyes are looking. He's looking throughout the whole earth, looking for someone whose heart is loyal towards him so he can use your prayers. You might be elderly. You might be young. It doesn't matter. You can pray. You can be part of what God wants to do. Verses 14 and 15, they dealt with this Zimri, the son of Salu, and Cosby, the daughter of Zur, the, the, the prominent, see, the prominent elites led, led this idolatry. And then the, the lesser in society got swept up in it. And God told Moses, strap on your sword, fellas. Let's go take out, let's, there's war. We're going to go to war over this. Everyone who brings a curse upon you, upon the people of God, will they themselves receive the curse. You mess with my people, it's coming back to you. And that's what Israel became the instrument and he judged the Midianites. We'll pick that war up in chapter 31. I want to leave that and I want to go on to something that I enjoy, deeply enjoy. And that is talking about the faithfulness of God. There's nothing greater than the faithfulness of God. We might be faithless, but he will never deny himself. I want to give you a number of things, some scriptures that talk about faithfulness. Loyal, unwavering, reliable, no matter what the circumstances are. It's the kind of people that God wants us to be because that's the kind of God that he is. And apart from God, we would know what faithfulness is. Thankfully, he's so faithful to us. And I think during this week and maybe even now as I'm pontificating on some of this, you might do well to ask yourself that question, am I faithful to God or am I faithful to myself? May God help us to be faithful like he's faithful. I know we all struggle sometimes with unbelief. Like, oh, it doesn't, it might really, doesn't, doesn't really matter, right? We have our doubts. But God isn't like that towards you, towards me, towards his responsibility. He loves at all times. He's committed at all times. If God is who he says he is, and he is, And because he is who he is and he's proven to be faithful over, over and over again, what does that tell you? He can be trusted. Faithful people can be trusted. That's the point. You can trust God. You should trust God. To not trust God is sinful. He's the most trustworthy of all persons. Lamentations. We sing this song. The steadfast of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness.
God is so faithful. Hebrews 10.23 Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. The mere fact that God is faithful should lead us to be as he is. And that is faithful. As A.W. Pink once said, faithful people have always been in a marked minority. It's hard to find good people these days. It's hard to find faithful people, faithful workers, faithful Christians. Say one thing and do another. But God's not that way. Aren't you glad? God's not that way. He's faithful. He's faithful to tell you the truth about who he is and about who you are. He always does what he says he's going to do. And he upholds his word. He honors his word above his name. Heaven and earth will pass away, but his word will never pass away. God is faithful and true even when we're not. He never changes. Second Timothy 2.13 He's faithful to answer our prayers. He's faithful to keep you in the tests and trials that you go through. He will not overload you. His mercy and grace are sufficient to carry each of us through our trials. Jesus is a faithful high priest. He never stops praying for you or interceding for me or you in our failures, in our acceptance before the Father. He's faithful to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all our unrighteousness. He's faithful to correct us and afflict us if necessary to turn us around when we get stubborn and rebellious against him. When you suffer and you're persecuted, God is there to protect you. You shall only come this far and no further. There is a measured amount of of sorrow and pain that he has. And most of us feel like it's always more than it should be. Because we're weak and he understands our frame. We're but dust. But God is faithful to protect us. He is faithful to sustain each one of us till the very end. God He who began a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. He's never going to give up on you. And you and I should never give up on God because he will never give up on us. He is faithful to keep his covenant because he is hesed, his loyal love to you and to me. May you and I grow in faithfulness to him. We see the opposite here and how ugly and damaging and destructive this act was within the nation. May that not be mentioned among the saints. And may our nation in and of itself turn from our idolatry and come to God. God, give us a faithful and steadfast spirit. I like what Elizabeth Elliot said in one of her books. This job has been given to me to do. And this is for each of us. You've been given a job to do. You need to consider that job a gift. Therefore, it is a privilege. Therefore, it is an offering that I make to God. Therefore, it is to be done gladly. 
if it is to be done for him, here, not somewhere else, I may learn God's way. In this job, not in some other, God looks for faithfulness. Whatever your job is, he's looking for you to be faithful with the gift that he's imparted to you. Again, never give up on God because he's never going to give up on you.